This is 251 Now with Kelly Finley, the go-to place for what's happening in our local community. Presented by AIDS Alabama South and the Mobile County Health Department. The businesses you need to know about, local artists to support, restaurants to visit, community leaders making a difference, local topics you and your friends are talking about now. Good Sunday morning and welcome to 251 Now with Kelly Finley. I'm Kelly Finley. Hope you're having a great day and have had a great week. And you know what? What we do on this show is we help you with information that will help you to have a great life. How about that? As I do each Sunday, I have my guests introduce themselves, tell you which organization they're with, and then we get right to the conversation at hand. Good morning. Good morning. Great to have you. Thank you so much. You I'm bet. I'm Brian Persing. I'm currently uh, a physician at Mitchell Cancer Institute, uh, one of our lung cancer specialists there. Um, I've been at Mitchell for about uh, 14 months, but have been along the Gulf Coast for about the past 12 or 13 years now. I love the fact that you came in and you're not only do you have a great event coming up, but you're using your platform to continue to help others understand the importance of their health. I think I think sometimes we get so programmed where we know about this part of our body, but not necessarily that. So I, if you would please help us understand, you know, what the Mitchell Cancer Institute even stands for. What are they known for? Why, why should people know about resources there? Well, you know, um, it was really started with the purpose of creating what we describe as a, a multidisciplinary team, and that's a group of physicians designed to take care of patients. But kind of like you, you said just a second ago, we, we want to get in touch with our health, and what we don't want you to do is have to visit Mitchell Cancer Institute. And so the best way to do that is to try to prevent cancers, whether that's appropriate screening guidelines that we should be following or whether that's getting people to stop smoking or exercise or other things that really promote health. Uh, Mitchell uh, provides uh, not only research but a lot of support for patients, and I'm excited not available yet, but but TBD is we're creating a tobacco cessation clinic to try to help people stop smoking. Oh, wow. And so that's uh, one of the reasons that I got plugged in with uh, tobacco cessation and, and the Great American Smoke Out. The fact that you use an acronym, I mean, so early in the interview, I know this is going to be good, TBD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, right. it's, and it's important because, you know, more and more um, smokers are starting younger. Oh, and when we we talk about, you know, we, we were talking about the fact that we're both parents, but you think about teenagers who are vaping and not understanding what what comes along with that. Because it's, it's marketed as, and, and nothing against those, I'm not pointing out any specific company, but it's marketed as the safer alternative. Mm-hmm. And, and scary is the FDA just gave a safer designation to one of the companies than Mm -hmm. cigarettes. And we really know it's not safe. In fact, uh, Dr. Petty is one of our pediatricians. And we realized as we were starting our tobacco cessation clinic, we didn't want adults to handle this. And frankly, we don't want a medical oncologist to be referring to the tobacco cessation clinic. We want to start early. So it's primary care, it's pediatrics. And she's actually our state champion in Alabama for uh, vaping. Really? Right. How so? I mean, what what made her really elevate that platform? I think uh, um, Dr. Wally, who was one of our uh, – she was at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, was a pediatrician as well. Uh, they got together and realized that, you know, if we are able to prevent – you know, uh, children or adolescents from smoking, they're less likely to smoke because if you haven't started smoking by like age 22, age 25, you're typically not going to start. And so we realize this is really something we need to get age down from where we typically think about because once the habits developed, 
the habits developed. Right. And you think about how many parents, um, you know, when they're carrying their child, okay, obviously the mom carries a kid, but you've got a dad or, or a, another mom, whatever the makeup is, but people smoking in the home mm-hmm. before this baby is born. It's right. already impacting. Sure. Secondhand, and actually, secondhand smoke is responsible for about uh, 5% of, of lung cancers in general, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And what about, um, you know, connections to asthma? And, and, and strong, Yeah, strong correlations with asthma, uh, reactive airway disease, chronic sinus infections, chronic respiratory infections. And that's not only in the smoker, but also in people that tend to live with the smoker. So you are making sure to, again, use your platform for the positive and not just letting people know about um, the, the negative side effects of smoking and vaping, but also tobacco. Right. And, and tobacco in general, we know it increases the risk for other types of cancer. So even smokeless tobacco becomes uh, an issue with like mouth cancers and bladder cancers as well. So we know that it's not only the, the burnt components, the, the burnt tobacco, but also um, uh, the, the other components in tobacco as well that aren't necessarily with burned products. It means even some of the, the chews and some of the other things that are out there. Which, you, which you're seeing a lot with athletes. You're right. saying, um, again, younger and younger or, or in outdoor activities that it's, it's almost made to seem as if, well, it's okay, but it's not. Right. Still <laughs> health risks that go along with it. So, so your title, obviously you're a doctor, your title, your specialty is? Cancer. And the fact that you, you, no one wants to meet you. Right. Yeah. I'm I mean, the what, last person on the social agenda that right. people want to deal with. So you deal with a lot of families, and wherever they are in the stage of their cancer diagnosis, what are some of the common um, remarks or comments that you hear from them now that they now that they're seeing you? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of and and there's been a big stigma that's gone along with lung cancer, and that is, oh, I've been I was a smoker, I, I deserve what's happening now, and and we see that you know, frequently, and people will blame themselves for this kind of thing. And um, we want to reassure people, you know, a lot of times, smokers that are dealing with cancer now started smoking well before uh, the Surgeon General, you know, Coop, uh, Dr. Coop suggested that it, it caused cancer, and there were actually validated studies that showed that. And mm-hmm. so um, our, our goal is, one, there's nothing shameful about this. This was a habit, and lots of people have other habits. Mine's biting my fingernails, right? So so whatever habit you have, um, uh, one, we want to get people to stop. Because even people that have been smokers that have a diagnosis of a cancer that develops, they do better if they're able to stop smoking. And so the point is we can always change our habits now to improve how we're doing. But the other side of that is um, at least uh, uh, probably 15 to 20% of lung cancers are in people that have never smoked as well. And so it's not always affiliated with smoking. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, I have so many questions. I'm glad I okay. get to ask. Sure. I get, I'm glad I had the doctor in the house. <laughs> so if, 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 if it's not just a smoking-correlated um, um, cancer – how do you get lung cancer? Like, Yeah. So we know that there are other environmental factors. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in the South, we don't have basements, but radon can be one of those exposures. But especially where we have um, shipbuilding industry. So we know that asbestos can trigger other types of lung cancer other than just mesothelioma. Mm-hmm. So that's something locally that we tend to see as, as a potential risk factor. We know that secondhand smoke, I mentioned that. So um, uh Another thing that that uh, another goal is obviously smoking ordinances, trying to ensure that employees working in in uh, 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 you know jobs have an opportunity to work in a smoke free environment as well. Mm-hmm. So so kind of looking at all of those different uh, 
avenues. When we talk about, um, before we came on, we talked about the fact from your, your background of being a part of a military family, you've lived different places. Is there a state that you see that's doing it right, that we could pattern ourselves after so that we could get on that healthier track a little faster? You know, I think there may be states that are there. I've seen communities that are definitely there, you know, so there's really a community uh, desire for health, you know, and whether that's, you know, comprehensive wellness with with encouraged, uh, you know, encouraging employers to allow people, you know, not smoke breaks, but walk breaks, you know, those kinds of things. So there's definitely communities that are looking at that. You know, um, we haven't really reached that on a national level yet. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the ordinances that have been passed as far as like uh, uh, workplace ordinances, obviously all federal institutions are for the most part. But Local communities like uh, – so Mississippi where I've done a lot of work with the American Lung Association, uh, they are working community by community to get local either county-based ordinances or city-based ordinances passed. And that's what leads to you know having the event that you're having on, on the 18th of the November, of course, this month, the Great American Smokeout. When you hear that, you think, oh, they're going to have ribs and, and hamburgers. And <laughs> yeah, I was thinking it kind of sounds like we're going to have some some uh, pork, uh, some yes, pork roast. Right. And yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. You're cooking out. Yeah. But that's not what you're doing. No. Tell me no. about this event. It's happening so, at the USA Student Center Amphitheater. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's really um, an event to... To raise awareness about uh, tobacco use and really taking those first steps in stopping. And when I see patients that are smokers, one of the first things that we talk about is, or I say smokers, tobacco users perhaps, is, is we talk about cessation. And we realize, hey, this is something that's important for your health, not only now but down the road. The earlier we have those conversations, the better. Why have it at a college campus? That's where we need to be reaching, you know, that's where we need to be reaching people, mm-hmm. uh, those younger ages. But like I said, it's it's open to the public, and the idea behind this is let's talk about it. It's a habit. Don't beat people up for it, but let's help. Let's help stop. And the first step to stopping is wanting to stop. Right, and giving them the resources. So right. if, I'm, if I'm looking at the layout of the, of the event, I will, I will throw out there that Matt McCoy is going to DJ, so you know it's going to be a fun time. He's going to throw down. But what's the agenda looking like for the, for the event? So there's going to be a, a place to actually sign up to say I'm interested in stopping smoking and kind of starting a contract. So sometimes when there's that contract, it kind of makes us feel a little more accountable. Uh, there will be other resources there. Um, we we uh, you know we can't hand out prescriptions for you know some of the uh, uh, smoking cessation products, but we can make sure that we get you the information that you need to take to your you know provider. Uh, say, hey, I want to stop smoking. There's nobody that's not willing to help. Mm-hmm. You keep using the word cessation, but I don't think many people oh, really understand yeah. what that means. Will you Will you give us sure. the prescription? Yeah, <laughs> tobacco. What that means. Yeah, tobacco cessation means just stopping smoking. Cessation means to stop, okay. right? Okay. Uh, to cease. Gotcha. And so the goal is making sure that that we're able to to help people stop. I think this is going to be a great event because you're you're making you're getting the conversation going for some. Some don't know how to start the stop, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Right. And you, you're, they're bombarded with all types of ads and and cause remember back in the day when movies made it so cool, you know, to have a cigarette hanging out of your mm-hmm. mouth. I mean, I, as a journalist, I know you know you look back at you know jur- journalists from fifty, sixty years ago. That's how newsrooms looked. But mm-hmm. nobody ever talked about the effects. Yeah, that's how hospitals looked. 
Oh. There were, this was, you know, I mean, 70s, yeah. 80s. That's, I mean, there were true. people smoking in the hallway. There were burn marks <laughs> on the handrails on the sides where, where physicians would leave their cigarette. Right? Crazy. Right. We've come a long way. I we mean, have. we come a long way in 30 to 40 years, but we have a long way to go. We do. And that's a great, that, I like the way you did that. We're going to take a quick break. Great segue into our next segment. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk more about um, the efforts from lung cancer awareness standpoint and, and how we can help people. Because I know each awareness, um, each, um, gosh, cancer has its own month, but you need 12 months to be healthy. I mean, we don't want to just focus on one month. So we'll talk more about that. And then we're going to talk a little bit about your background and how you got here and why you do what you do. So stay with me. 251 Now with Kelly Finley coming back right after this. And welcome back to 251 Now with Kelly Finley. If you're just tuning in, you've got great timing. And if you've been listening, you know we're talking all things health when it comes to um, helping our younger generation, especially be the healthier versions of themselves. Dr. Brian Persing is here uh, from the Mitchell Cancer Institute. And ironically, he's a doctor you don't want to meet. Okay, we just let's go ahead and put that up. Nice gentleman, but you don't want to meet him because, I mean, cancer, that's, that's what you deal with. But let me ask you this because we were talking about how far we've come, but still how far we still need to go. You know, I remember when you hear the C word and automatically it's like a death sentence. Mm-hmm. But there's so much progress from, from a technological standpoint that's happening in your world that people are living longer. Sure. I mean, give me some insight on that. So th- there's probably th- uh, three to four prongs. The first is obviously prevention, which is a great American smoke out, right? But the second one of those is, is uh, screening, you know, finding cancers early. And historically, we haven't had a good avenue, at least in lung cancer, to identify cancer early. Now, that was up until about five, five years ago. Now we have uh, low-dose CT screening, uh, which is where we put somebody on a CT scanner. It's not a high-resolution CT, but anybody that's uh, between 55 and 80 years of age, they've smoked more than we, – we've used 25 pack years, which is a pack a day for 25 years or two packs per day for 12 and a half or a half a pack a day for 50 years, however you want to do the calculation, okay. 25 pack years um, uh, and uh, has smoked within the last 15 years, we can actually screen them now with a CT scan. And so uh, – That's pretty new. Right. It's Yeah, it's new. And, and I think it really hasn't been adopted very quickly because there's still that, that stigma that goes along with smoking and, hey, uh, I'm smoking. I don't really want to know if there's a problem there. But mm-hmm. if we find those early on those CT scans, now we can cure people instead of finding lung cancer at advanced stages, which is why one of the – pitfalls of lung cancer for a long time has been unlike breast cancer where we find it in stage one stage two we're finding lung cancer in stage three stage four which is harder to treat and and less likely to be able to be cured then and and so because we we talked breast cancer awareness month um last month and talked about the importance of you know self-checking as as a potential lung cancer uh, you know, patient, what, how do you check? Yeah. What, I mean, what do you do? Yeah, there's no good way. You can't feel it. You can't hear it. You can't see it. So you, you listen to your body, okay? And some of my patients notice, hey, I haven't been hungry for the past three or four months. I've been losing weight. I've tried before. I've never been successful. And now all of a sudden I'm being successful. And I'll tell you, being in the South, it's really easy not to lose weight, uh, right? Amen. Yeah. Good food. <laughs> right. Good food. Right. Uh, yes. You know, other things that you may notice, like uh, increasing cough or shortness of breath, like I used to be able to do this activity, now I'm having trouble doing that. Or if we ever cough up blood, that's always a big warning sign. So gotcha. um, uh, 
kind of look for those things. You notice changes, especially if you're a smoker, but this can happen to non-smokers too. Right? I'm glad you're emphasizing that because I, I don't, I mean, I have many people in our family who are smokers, love them to pieces, you know, but we do want to make sure that you have the healthiest and the most resourceful information to keep you on the right path because it just, it just seems like there's some cancers that when people find out they have it, it's stage three, stage four. Right. And if it's harder to detect or, you know, to, to check your own symptoms, now it's making more sense as to why. Right. And historically, one of the reasons that screening hadn't been very helpful in lung cancer is we had no way to get to small lung nodules. That's one of the exciting things. Uh, the lung doctors, pulmonologists, now have the capability of getting to, to smaller nodules in the lungs and getting those biopsy to figure out what they are. So instead of waiting until something grows to a size where we can biopsy it, now we can biopsy things that are smaller, mm-hmm. meaning we're curing people at earlier stages than what we could have even a few years ago. And that's uh, navigational bronchoscopy. Um, uh, we have the Monarch, which is a, a robotic navigational bronchoscopy where they actually use almost like an Xbox controller to drive out to the nodule with a little needle and then take a biopsy there. So it's pretty pretty neat stuff that is so forward thinking and you know based on the notes that i was given that you know that's offered at mci and um that's the only such technology in our area that's the only robotic navigational bronchoscopy so there's navigational bronchoscopy uh which has been out probably about seven to eight years now where you could use some magnets and other kind of uh, uh some magnets and some mapping to drive out and do the biopsy but this is actually being able to drive the scope yourself so instead of depending purely on the computer and and the the kind of the technology mm-hmm. this is operator uh, assisted as well are you finding um, better results seeing more because you're able to have yeah. this new yeah. way what used to happen is we'd take a biopsy and we call it as a non-diagnostic biopsy, meaning we didn't get the tissue we needed to get the answer. With this, it's increasing our yield there, so we're more likely to be able to get the diagnosis and then proceed with the, the treatments that are available. Which helps the patient, because if you're in that situation, I mean, you're stressing. First mm-hmm. of all, you nobody wants to, again, see you, no offense, but you, you, you understand you need a biopsy. Now you're right. stressing to get the biopsy, and then right. they get the bi- biopsy and you didn't get what right. you needed. So th- that means you have to go back and do right. it again? Do it again or oh. wait or wait for time for it to grow and become bigger. And I will say the, the fear of the unknown is actually much worse than knowing and pushing through and doing something for I'm it. glad you said that. And uh, not to call the men out, but it seems like more men avoid going to the doctor. Sure. Right? Right. Um, but but when you hear people why they don't go, they just say, I'd rather just not know. Or, right. uh, uh, or, or no one in my family has ever had that. Can we talk about the importance of knowing your family history? and right. having the conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing your knowing your personal history, what you've been exposed to, but also knowing family history. You know, there tends to be, you know, lung cancer that runs in family or there can be heart disease that runs in families. Know your family history because that's probably where your problems are going to lie. You know, yeah. genetics tend to win out. I heard this really good idea and I think our listeners would love this too. So um, for Thanksgiving, many families are gathering. Use that time to ask about your background. Sure. Everybody's in the same and, room. And write a written history. Yes. You know, write it down. So, you know, what I've found is is always disheartening is grandma dies. She knew everybody that that was in the family. She knew what they had. And one of the problems is when you start going back 50 or 60 years, somebody died of bone cancer. That may not have been bone cancer. That may have been lung cancer in the bone. That may have been prostate cancer in the bone because mm-hmm. there are certain types of cancers that spread to bone. Mm-hmm. But – you know, getting that oral history. So, you know, if you see, oh, it was bone cancer, but everybody in the families had breast cancer. Maybe that was actually breast cancer to bone, but they, at the time, we didn't have the technology to know 
what it actually was. Yes, we we have to talk more and to help because I you know when you go to the doctor, especially a new doctor, um, list all the family history, and if you don't know, and you're just checking the same thing all the time, not knowing, and then boom, things can happen, and then when you start talking, you find out, oh well, yes, yeah, she did have this. Why did anybody tell me? Right, <laughs> right, yeah. Oh my goodness! All right, so you, what brought you to Mobile? I mean, how did you get here? And you've got a very fascinating and important job, but what brought you here? So I'd been I've been in practice uh, just around the corner, Ocean Springs, Pascagoula, for about twelve years, um, and uh, MCI recently started a, an oncology fellowship program, so training future oncologists essentially. So there are people who've been through medical school, they've been through their residency, and now they're doing you know specialty training. And there was an opportunity to come here to be able to teach. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of most rewarding and why I landed here is the ability to educate. Obviously, love educating physicians, but also love educating community, which is why I'm here with you this morning. You're so good at it, too. I'm learning so much. And and you're making it accessible. I think a lot of times, especially if it's your personal situation, you get nervous and you don't know what to ask. But the fact that you're making the information so accessible, that's life-changing for people. Yeah. And it is so accessible at this point in time, right? With the internet, I have patients that come in sometimes more educated on what they have going on than I am. I mean, right? have you seen I'm trying the to catch up. They, like, right. they come in with a commercial name. Yeah, yeah. Is this therapy appropriate for me? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, no. I usually know. It's on TV. We usually know about it. But, you know, there have been so many new FDA approvals over the yeah. course of the past, you know, uh, year, year and a half mm-hmm. that keeping up can be a task sometimes. How has the pandemic impacted your world mm-hmm. of oncology and your patients? Well, our biggest concern is we are seeing a little bit of what we call stage migration, meaning what used to be a lot of stage one, stage two cancers may be moving more towards stage two, stage three cancers because people are postponing their screening, right? Mm-hmm. They're postponing their mammograms or postponing colonoscopies, or frankly, some of the screening centers, some of the outpatient places where we do colonoscopies, they're limited numbers. So we're not able to get as many people through. And so um, we want to get people back out and get them screened now because we don't want to be seeing uh, at more advanced disease. And, you know, my question for you now would be why oncology? Like when you were coming up through the ranks, why this specific direction that you wanted to have your career be in and to help so many people? Um, I think it's one of those uh, uh, where it was so many different things that happened at the same time, but we developed such a rapid and quick relationship with our patient and, and you really dive into solving a problem. And unlike other disease processes where the physician may be at odds with the patient, I've never had a patient come in and say, I'm not interested in taking care of this. Like once there's a cancer diagnosis, we're on the same team. We're rolling at the same time. You know, there's nobody <laughs> that says, no, I don't think I want to do anything with this right now. You know, you love what you do. Of course. Oh, absolutely. My goodness. And as you look forward, what's, what's on the horizon from a technological standpoint, from a medical standpoint, I mean, just from what you get to do for a yeah. living. So, you know, we have the advent of what we call personalized medicine, which is really coming up with a unique plan for each patient. So as opposed to kind of where I was when I got out of training 13 years ago, 14 years ago, where there was kind of a blanket of therapies that were approved for this type of of cancer. Now we're really looking at the patient's individual genetics, not only their like personal genetics, but also the tumor genetics and trying to figure out what the most appropriate therapy is. Immunotherapies, uh, so enhancing a person's own immune system response to the cancer. I mean, these are revolutionary. We have people now with lung cancer 
even with stage four lung cancer, living past five years, which is unheard of. So it's just we see continued improvement and progress. Oh, I, I hope it continues on and then some. All right, so no, November 18th, the Great American Smokeout, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the USA Student Center Amphitheater. Go ahead, meet Dr. Persing. I mean, for real. You would want to meet him and learn more about um, what he's doing and all the resources. And everyone's invited. Correct. Free. Yes. Free of charge. Yes. And you can sign a contract. Absolutely. And that contract could save your life. Sure it can. And if you'd like more information about USA um, Health uh, Mitchell Cancer Institute, they, of course, are located at 1660 Spring Hill Avenue, their website, usamci.com. Thank you so very much for tuning in today, and hopefully you'll take this information and share it with your loved ones so we can continue on the right path when it comes to our health. This has uh, wrapped up this edition of 251 Now with Kelly Finley. I so appreciate you tuning in each week. We'll see you back here same time, same place next week. Tune in every Sunday for 251 Now with Kelly Finley, presented by AIDS Alabama South and the Mobile County Health Department. 7.30 to 8 a.m., right here on The Sound of Mobile.